0: This episode of TGC Podcast is brought to you by Crossway. In today's rapidly changing culture, ancient liturgical tradition is not only biblical, it's essential. In Crisis of Confidence, Carl Truman analyzes how creeds and confessions can help the Christian church navigate modern concerns, particularly around the fraught issue of identity. He contends that statements of faith promote humility, moral structure, and a godly view of personhood, helping believers maintain a strong foundation amid a culture in crisis. Pick up a copy of Crisis of Confidence wherever books are sold, or visit crossway.org plus to find out how you can get 30% off. This episode of TGC Podcast is brought to you by Crossway. Navigating the Christian life in a secular world will inevitably stir questions in the lives of thoughtful believers, in Ask Pastor John, Tony Reinke summarizes and organizes 10 years of the most insightful and popular episodes of the Ask Pastor John podcast, allowing readers to quickly and systematically access Piper's insights on hundreds of topics, including Bible reading, dating, social media, mental health, and more. Pick up a copy of Ask Pastor John wherever books are sold, or visit crossway.org plus to find out how you can get 30% off. Welcome to the Gospel Coalition podcast, equipping the next generation of believers, pastors, and church leaders to shape life and ministry around the gospel. Today, you'll hear a message from Sam Albury on why the gospel is good news for your body. This message was originally given at TGC's 2021 National Conference.
1: So why is the gospel good news uh, for your body? Um, I'm from the UK, as I think um, is probably apparent. And I, the last few years I've been back and forth between the US and the UK, and I've begun to sort of mentally do some comparing. And there are some things I will, I will admit America does better than England. Uh, in just a few, in no particular order, lemonade, like if you go to England and order a lemonade, it's, it's something quite different to what you drink here. Customer service, <laughs> you actually have customer service here. We don't even know what that is in the UK. Um, positivity generally, uh, you were kind of can-do types. We're sort of, mm, um, in England, we're very cynical. And you know, virtually all kind of food is probably better here than, than in the UK. Um, however, if I may, as a, as a friendly visitor to your nation, there are some things the UK does better than America. Um, BBC News. OK? Uh, country pubs. Uh, if you don't know what one of those is, then come and have a word afterwards. Chocolate. OK, in, in the UK, chocolate doesn't taste of wax. So. If I'm ever giving up chocolate for Lent, I still eat Hershey's because it doesn't count. (laughs) Whatever else Hershey's is, it isn't chocolate. But here's one of the things I really love in the UK that you guys don't have here, and that is Boxing Day. Okay, in the UK, December the 26th is a public holiday. It's called Boxing Day. I think it's called that because you would have historically boxed up gifts for the poor and that kind of thing. But it's kind of come to be the day after Christmas where you can kind of just recover a bit from all the kind of craziness of Christmas. And the reason I love Boxing Day, it's one of my favorite days of the year, is because Christmas is normally hectic. In the UK, we tend to have church on Christmas Day. So you've got that in the morning. You've got seeing everyone you've ever been related to as well at various points during the day. There's not much time to actually be still and to think. And so Boxing Day for me is the day I tend to do most of my reflecting on Christmas. And there is no greater compliment that you can pay the human body than that the word became flesh. And the word remained flesh. There is still at the right hand of the Father right now, a human body, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no greater prospect for the human body than the future Jesus has won for it by becoming flesh. So if you take nothing else out of this session, take this, God is not just interested in your soul. He's not just interested in extracting from you some spiritual aspect of who you are and then running with that for eternity. No, God's eternal plan for your life includes your physicality. It includes your body. Just one example of this in Romans chapter 8. Paul is talking about creation groaning and, and waiting. And he says in Romans 8 verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies so paul is saying we've received the first fruits of the spirit we've already been given new life in the holy spirit we already have if i can put it in these these terms we already have new creation software but it's running on old creation hardware. And so we groan. And we're not groaning because we're waiting to, to be rid of these wretched bodies, we're groaning because we're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Uh, that The gospel is not there to help you escape your body as if it's a bad thing and you just need to be free of the wretched physicality and then you can kind of float off into something else. Nor is the gospel trying to switch out your body for a completely different one. No, the gospel talks about our bodies being redeemed. That the future adoption we await in all its completion includes the redemption of our bodies. So, the gospel is good news for your body. You can... You can leave now if you, if you would like to. We're going to unpack a little bit more of that uh, for the rest of this session. So here are, here are five things uh, the Bible shows us about our bodies and, and why, therefore, the gospel is good news for our bodies. Um, let me just tell you what the five things are, and then we'll go through them. Your body is not accidental. Your body is not incidental. Your body is not straightforward. Your body is not yours, and your body is not finished. So firstly, your body is not accidental. Let me read some uh, well-known words from Psalm 139. You'll have heard these words. You may have seen them embroidered on various things around your home. It's one of those kinds of of passages. Psalm 139, verse uh, 13 uh, David is, is writing, he's, he's praying as he writes. He's praying to God and he says, for you formed my inward parts. Now, most of us are not very familiar with our inward parts unless something goes wrong with our inward parts and then we would rather not have known much about them. But God is the one who formed us. David says, you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Uh, David says in the next verse, I praise you. Why? For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. David is writing that in the same reality that we live in. David is not somehow existing before the fall and writing this about his body before the fall, David is saying this of his own fallen self, his own broken self. He can still say of his own physicality, I praise you God because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You have been made with great care and attention. God has made by now several billion of these human things. But we have not been mass produced. Uh, some years ago, I went to a, a chocolate factory in the UK. Why not, right? If there's good chocolate to be had, let's go and go to the source of all the goodness. And it was like being at the end of a rainbow. It was just amazing. And they would just give you chocolate throughout the day just to just to keep taking. But it was amazing just seeing these massive kind of machine processes, conveyor belts, all the rest of it, and just these hundreds and hundreds of of chocolate goodies pouring off these these factory contraptions. We have not been mass produced. We've not just kind of slid off a production line. We have been, if I can put it in these terms, individually handcrafted. Um, It doesn't mean we're perfect. but we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. David says, you knitted me together in my mother's room. I've never knitted a stitch in my life, but I've, I've watched people knitting and every single stitch is, is handcrafted. Uh, God has been especially attentive to the creation of each one of us. So you are not accidental. Your body is not the product of time and chance. Your body did not cough itself up into existence. Uh, There's nothing random about your body. Some of us may not have been planned by our parents. but we have been planned by God. He meant to make you. He meant for you to be here. Uh, Some of us will despise our bodies. Some of us may feel ashamed because of our bodies. But David sees the createdness of our bodies as a reason to praise God. And I pray that with the help of the Holy Spirit, the next time you look at yourself in the mirror, you can say to yourself, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And therefore, I will praise God. For some of us, that will be hard. But it's the right thing to do. David says he has been fearfully and wonderfully made. So we are not accidental. Um, Secondly, we're not incidental. Um, It's easy to think today, well, the the real me is the kind of inner self that I I feel myself to be. That's where the real action is. The body is just a lump of flesh I happen to be connected to. Um, It's not in and of itself significant to my identity. It is simply the blank canvas on which I paint my real identity, often literally paint my real identity. It's not itself determinative or part of that identity. But the Bible gives us a very different perspective because God has planned for us to be here, because we have been fearfully and wonderfully made, our bodies are not insignificant it isn't just an arbitrary lump of matter. It's not just that you have a body, you are a body. So think about the creation of Adam in Genesis 2. If you're familiar with that account, God takes some of the the soil of the earth, he forms it into the the body of, of Adam and then breathes life into it. What God doesn't do, God does not make a soul called Adam and then look for something physical to put that soul into. As if our body is just a kind of convenient piece of Tupperware. No, God makes flesh and then animates that flesh by breathing life into it. And so we are not trapped souls that have been shoved into some bit of flesh wherever it was convenient to shove us. No, we are animated flesh. And therefore, our bodies are not incidental to who we are. So this means two things, friends. This means uh, the body is not everything. And it means the body is not nothing. Uh, the body is not everything. It's not all that there is to you. It's not the sum totality of, of your identity. Um, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, you may recall that um, Samuel is, is, has been directed by the Lord to Jesse's family to, to find out who the next king's going to be, and that Jesse's sons begin to appear, and, and Samuel's going, wow, these guys just look like they were at a central casting for the role of king. Okay, They just look kingy. They're the kind of people you want to, to put a crown on the head of and kind of have leading you. They're, they're impressive. They've got that kind of magisterial sense to them. And that the answer keeps coming back, no, not this one, no, 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 not him, not him. And in the end, as we know, if you're familiar with the, with the account, uh, it turns out to be the, the one no one was expecting, David. They didn't even bother to bring David in for the audition because they just assumed it's not gonna be David, we'll just leave him out in the fields. But David turns up, that is gonna be the one, and God says to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, verse seven, the Lord does not look at things man looks at. Man looks at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Man looks at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, we know that. We know that there's more to someone than just the kind of immediate thing that we physically see. We know that there's, there's more to people than that, but it still tends to be our default setting. We size people up on first impressions mainly by how they look. Uh, we still make a lot of outward appearance. We still do most of our assessing and evaluating of people based on their outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. The Lord sees not just what is on the surface, but he sees what is underneath. He sees into us. He sees what is hidden from other people. If we only look at the body, we have a very limited and incomplete picture of somebody else. So we don't look at one another in the way the Lord does. We're very surface level in our appreciation of one another. God looks and assesses us more more thoroughly. So the body is not everything. And there's parts of our culture that kind of want to make it everything. You are your image. You are your physical image. That is where your value or otherwise lies in this world. No, the Lord sees beyond that. So the body is not everything, but the body is not nothing either. To say, well, there's more to me than my body is not the same thing as saying my body doesn't matter. We cannot properly define who we are without reference in some measure to our bodies. It cannot be the case that the, the real deepest essence of who you are is independent of your flesh. So our culture tends to, I think, get this very much mistaken. In some ways, our culture says your body doesn't define you at all. It's just, it is just random matter and you can do with it whatever you want to make it into the kind of person you really believe yourself to be. Um, 10 years ago, the movie Avatar came out. There's a whole bunch of other ones heading our way at some point. The whole premise behind a movie like Avatar is that you can inhabit an entirely different body and it won't affect your personal sense of identity. It won't affect who you are. It's just like a costume, you can switch it out. And for many people, that is, that is the body. It is just a costume. And if I don't like the way this costume is, then I, I just change it for a different costume. Another message we often get from our, our culture around us is that what you do with your body doesn't affect you because it's not the real you Uh, one of the kind of cliched things that sometimes gets said if if a if a man has been caught say having an affair you might hear the line "It, it didn't mean anything it was just physical the bible says it means something because it was physical because you are not separate from your flesh. So what you are doing with your body, you are doing. And similarly, if I may touch a very delicate subject, what is done to your body is not just done to your property, but it's done to you. which is why if we are physically assaulted, if we're sexually assaulted, it's why it affects us so very profoundly. Because we ourselves are being violated. It's not just, well, this happened to my body. No, this happened to me. Our body is not incidental. So it's not an accident, it's not incidental, uh, thirdly, your body is not straightforward, and this is probably the one you know the most about already. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that all of creation has been subjected to frustration, it's been put out of joint, it doesn't work properly. And our bodies are part of that physical creation. They too have been subjected to frustration. They don't work in the way that they were originally intended to, they're broken. Uh, Paul kind of explains something of why this is in Romans chapter 8. Let me read to you a bit of that text. Romans 8 verse 20, For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, this wasn't something creation invited for itself, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. God has subjected creation to futility. But he has done so, we're told, in hope. God has a positive purpose for why he's allowed creation to be subjected to futility, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In other words, creation has been subjected to futility so that it can look forward to the day when it will be released along with us. In other words, the reason God has subjected creation to frustration is to show us creation doesn't work properly because we don't work properly. Creation is out of joint precisely because our relationship with God as a race is out of joint. We don't relate to God in the way that we were originally intended to. And a a kind of massive visual aid of that is creation now doesn't relate in the way it was originally intended to. So our bodies are broken as a consequence and as a demonstration of the fact that our relationship with God is broken. at, At a species level. Does that make sense? That doesn't mean that one person's own particular experience of of bodily brokenness and sickness and suffering is a sign of that person's particular sin. Jesus warns us not to make that connection. No, the relationship is far more generalized. The fact that any of us suffer is a sign that none of us is naturally on our own right with God. That we as a species are not right with God. And we see examples of that brokenness all around us. We, we, we think of infirmity and sickness. Um, if we were just to do a survey of the people just in this room right now. Um, in fact, I'm just gonna quickly do this. Put your hand up if you've taken any medication today for any reason whatsoever. Okay, that's quite a lot of us. Um, thank you for doing that at home as well. We, we saw your hands go up as well. Um, <laughs> It's so normalized, we don't notice (laughs) how unwell we all are. Uh, We all need help just to kind of physically get through the day sometimes. We live in a world where people get sick and some people stay sick. We live in a world of infirmity. And the Bible makes sense of that for us. We're, We're broken. Creation has been subjected to frustration. Or we think of shame that comes because of our bodies. Some of us are ashamed of what our bodies look like. Um, Both among men and women, experiences of feeling unhappy with your body have gone up enormously over the last few years. Um, I've got a couple of statistics from 2014. These are just for women, but the same trend is is very much apparent among men as well. Um, In 2014, 80% of women said looking in the mirror made them feel bad. And I promise you this is an issue for men as well. Uh, The numbers have been trending in in an upward direction. Uh, One factor people think is is probably behind that is global, internet-y type things mean that we are are exposed to, to standards of beauty that are being put before us that are actually entirely unrealistic. We're given images of beauty that actually may not really be real at all. They're, they're photoshopped, computer, gen- you know, it's not actually how a real person actually looks. But that is becoming the standard of beauty, in which case all of us are, all of us are feeling uglier as a consequence. I was talking to a guy just recently who told me about a, a long-term eating disorder that he's been wrestling with. And he was made to feel shame early in life for being a bit overweight. And so it's been kind of drilled into his deepest sense of consciousness that he has to be thin to avoid shame. Some of us don't necessarily feel shame because of how we look. We might feel shame because of sin. Maybe it's what we've done with our bodies that makes us feel ashamed of them. Or maybe it's what's been done to our bodies that makes us feel ashamed of them. One of the sad consequences of of something like sexual assault is that very often it's, it's the victim who feels the shame and not the perpetrator. Some of us experience the brokenness of our body in a very different way, which is by idolizing it. And thinking actually our body is gonna be the thing that that redeems us and gets us through all the problems of life. And the Bible has many warnings against vanity. So here's just a couple, Uh, Proverbs 31 verse 30, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. I remember every now and then, you'll sort of come across someone on Facebook or something who you haven't seen for years and years. I remember chancing upon a guy who was a really good friend of mine at high school and he was probably the best looking person I've ever known in real life. And I just happened to to see him on Facebook or something like that. And I thought, oh yeah, he's, yeah, Proverbs 31.30 is is true. Beauty is fleeting. (laughs) Um, even if you manage to get the right look, it's hard to keep it. Uh, we age. Uh, our, our, I'm at the, I'm sorry, you don't need to know this, but I just bought one of those nose hair trimmer things. Um, it's worrying, it's made by the same people I think make lawn mowers. <laughs> but I'm like, there's hair coming in all kinds of places. We don't want to have hair right now. Um, we age, we have accidents we get ill, our looks are very insecure. So we mustn't even idolize our bodies. Uh, The Bible also gives us many examples of how someone being exceptionally attractive actually creates lots of problems for them. Um, Another form of bodily brokenness we're particularly conscious of in this uh, kind of time and cultural moment is, is gender dysphoria. Uh, The word dysphoria is the kind of opposite of euphoria. Euphoria is you're experiencing profound happiness about something. Dysphoria is to to experience profound unease. Gender dysphoria is is when you experience a sense of that your your body doesn't match the gender you feel yourself to be. Uh, The gender you experience yourself to be is different to what your body seems to look like. And that, for for some people, can be an experience of extraordinary pain. So we experience a whole range of types of bodily brokenness. None of us gets off the hook on this. But the fact that we have problems with our bodies, again, isn't a sign we need to be escaping from our bodies. But that our bodies need to be redeemed. They're not there yet. And the answer to all of our problems in our bodies is not going to lie in our bodies. We can't use our bodies to fix our bodies. No, what we begin to see is that the answer to our bodily brokenness lies in the ultimate bodily brokenness of Jesus. Colossians 1.22, God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. this is a a bit of a a sidebar and a tangent, but um, our, our dear friends who wrestle with gender dysphoria are not gonna experience the rest and sense of bodily harmony that they long for by altering their body in all the ways they feel their body needs to be altered. No, it is only through the broken body, bodily brokenness of Jesus that we can begin to have a hope and a future. Much more I need to say on that. So your body is not straightforward. Number four, your body is not yours. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 13 says these words. They're words which in in any other context would be horrific. Uh, Sorry, not verse 13, verse um, 19. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Paul says these words You are not your own, you were brought with a price. There are two ways to hear those words. If they are said to you by another human being, they are horrific words to hear. A very precious friend of mine was, was trafficked um, earlier in her life and she heard the words, you are not your own, you were bought at a price. She's now a wonderfully being. Able to get out of that situation. She now is a a wonderful sister in Christ. And these words now from Jesus are precious. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Said from another human being, those words show you how little worth and dignity you have. Said from Jesus, those words tell you just how precious you are. Uh, Back in verse 13, Paul um, says these words, he says, the body is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. If we are Christians, our bodies belong to Jesus now. Uh, The Lord is for the body, Paul says. In other words, God is interested in our bodies. Again, his eternal plan involves our bodies. And he says the body is for the Lord, the body is designed to be a vehicle through which we glorify God that's what it's been made for that's its purpose and it's only now that we have come to Christ and, and have been bought by Jesus that this can begin to happen uh, we now belong to Jesus he hasn't bullied his way into power over you he hasn't coerced you or manipulated you he hasn't stolen you he's laid down his own life for you He has yielded his body for you so that you can now belong to him. And part of what it means to be a Christian is your body is not your own now. And so Paul says in verse 20, so glorify God in your body. Here's some good news. Your body... However you feel about it, however others you may think feel about it, however you experience it, your body can glorify God right now. It's interesting, since I've been working on what the Bible says about our bodies, I've had so many people, men and women, young and old, opening up to me about struggles they've had with, with their body image. And a lot of it derives from feeling as though their body is not acceptable to other people. And there's a really dear friend of mine who um, has a wonderful, wonderful ministry. He would be in his late 30s. Um, He's always been short. Uh, When he was a young man, um, he was at some Christian camp or other where he was helping out and someone, he was with a, a bunch of people and, Someone said, Oh, we need we need a few men to kinda of help lift some heavy things to, to help set up for something. He said, Oh, I'll I'll help. And the friends around him said, No, you don't count. And as he was telling me this, decades later, he was still recalling this with tears in his eyes and saying it was as if there's a kind of a, a banner over his, his entire life saying, You don't count because of your height in this instance. I can think of another friend who tells me that whenever he goes to the, the beach with his friends, he's, he's desperate not to take his shirt off in front of his friends. Because when he grew up, uh, he's naturally skinny. He was given a, a kind of an idea that if you're a man, you're meant to look a certain way and he was too skinny to count. So even now, he still feels desperately self-conscious about being thin. There's a whole bunch of others of us who feel desperately self-conscious about not being thin. But so much of how we feel about ourselves has been determined by the approval and disapproval of other people at certain times in our life. So let me give you some good news. If your body belongs to Jesus, then the only person who needs to approve of your body is Jesus. He is a much kinder master of your body than anyone else is going to be. Most of us live unconsciously, if not consciously, as though it's our culture that owns our body. So glorify culture in your body. And we can't. And so we feel crushed. Our bodies are always going to be used to glorify someone. And we find in Jesus a far kinder Master of our bodies than we will find anywhere else. It is Jesus' view of you that is now defining. He has the power to liberate you from the views of everybody else. And He is the one who says, I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what kind of body does Jesus approve of? Um, Three very quick things before we move on. Um, Firstly, your body, we need to steward our bodies. Um, Paul says in the middle of talking to husbands in Ephesians 5 about how they ought to treat their wives, he says, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He then says, after all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it. Uh, Paul is speaking typically. He's not speaking exhaustively. There are people who hate their bodies. But typically, we instinctively feed and care for our bodies. And so Paul is saying, in like ways men care for your wives. But it's interesting, Paul is is showing us that actually part of stewarding our bodies is to feed them and care for them. Uh, What we eat is not spiritually irrelevant. Uh, we're to care for our bodies. In in 1 Timothy 4 verse 8 Paul says physical training is of some value but godliness has value for all things. And the fact that godliness has ultimate value doesn't change the fact that physical training still has some value. And again we can easily get this wrong and think well the body doesn't matter it's it's just there to be used up. Um, I'm told I've not been able to to find this um, firsthand but Robert Murray McShane who was one of the great preachers of the 19th century he pushed himself so hard in ministry that he did his health in, and he died before he hit 30. And as he was dying, it's it's reported that he said, God gave me two things. He gave me a message to deliver, and he gave me a horse to ride, referring to his body. And he's reported to have said towards the end of his life, I killed the horse. And now I cannot deliver the message. Physically caring for yourself is not unspiritual. Because it's not your body. It belongs to Jesus. So we need to steward our bodies. Secondly, we need to consecrate our bodies. Romans 12 verse 1 talks about offering our bodies to be a living sacrifice, pledging our bodies to God. And Paul is using the word body there to kind of encompass all that we do physically in our lives. God, again, is not just interested in a, in a spiritual part of you. He's, offered in, he's interested in all of your physical life. Romans six thirteen talks about offering the members, the parts of your body to God as instruments of righteousness. So when we offer our bodies, it's not some grand but conveniently vague gesture. Paul is saying, actually, think through the parts of the body and what it looks like to offer them to God as instruments of righteousness. Be specific. I'm to offer God, I'm to offer God my feet. Where can my feet take me? to be instruments of righteousness? Or I'm to offer God my eyes. How can I use my eyes to look upon this world in the way that Jesus does? When I'm stuck in traffic is my natural response to be just annoyed at everybody else wanting to use the same piece of road as I am. Or like Jesus, when I see these crowds like sheep without a shepherd, do I have compassion on them? So a, a body pleasing to Jesus is, co- is the body that's consecrated to him, that's offered to him. And then the third thing, Paul talks in, in 1 Corinthians 9 about disciplining our bodies training our bodies. It's not that the body is a bad thing and needs to be punished, but the body is a useful thing and we need to learn how to control our bodies. So our bodies are not our own. And then finally, and, and all too briefly as we finish, your body is not finished. Um, Philippians three has these uh, wonderful words uh, to say, about our our waiting for Jesus. Philippians 3 verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body. Don't you feel the lowliness of your own body? Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So listen to this, your body has a future in Jesus. Right now it's lowly, you're allowed to think that when you look in the mirror. Yep, my body's lowly. But here's the other thing you need to say to yourself, Jesus is going to transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. The body with which he's been raised is gonna be the type of body that we are raised with. These bodies are gonna be resurrected, they're going to be renewed. And Jesus is gonna do that by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So you may think, well, I don't think he's gonna do much with this. And Jesus is like, I've got the power by which I'm subjecting all of reality to myself to play with here, I think I'll be okay. You are not that special. Our bodies have a future. We will enjoy a resurrected physical life in the new creation. Our eternity is not going to be spent floating around in some kind of ghostly kind of way. Our future is physical. Which means this life now is not the only experience of bodily existence you're ever going to have. And so to my dear friends who have have chronic, painful health conditions. Your best physical days are not in your past. They are in your future. Our dear sister, Johnny Erickson Tarder, who many of us will be aware of her ministry and so deeply grateful for her ministry, she said on a number of occasions that when she gets use of her legs in the the age to come, the very first thing she is looking forward to doing with her legs is kneeling before her savior. That is biblically grounded anticipation and hope. Our bodies have a future. And therefore we can, we can almost welcome the aging and decay of our bodies for that reason. It's a sign actually we're getting nearer to our resurrections. So all that to say, the gospel is good news. Uh, it's good news for every part of life. It is good news for your body. Your body is not accidental. You are meant to be here. God meant you to have that body. Your body is not incidental, it's part of your calling. Your body's not straightforward in any number of respects. Your body's not your own, you belong to Jesus and your body's not finished. It will be resurrected to serve God perfectly in the age to come. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we do groan inwardly as we await our adoption and the redemption of our bodies. Thank you, Lord, that we have that to wait for. And even as the the waiting is agonizing, nevertheless, we're so glad for that anticipation and that hope. Father, please help us to be assured, encouraged, stabilized by what the scriptures have to say in a a context that is so confusing to us about our bodies and how we think about them. Help us to know ourselves made by you, owned by you, pledged to you one day to be redeemed by you, and in the meantime, to serve you. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Gospel Coalition podcast. Check out more gospel-centered resources at thegospelcoalition.org.